0: The Slaughter and May podcast.
1: Welcome to the latest podcast in our series, Reinventing the 9 to 5, looking at the future of work. I'm Phil Linnard, a partner in the Employment and Incentives team at Slaughter and May. I'm joined today by Caroline Phillips, a partner in our finance team. And we're delighted to be joined by Nicola Doran, the Head of Employment for Europe, Americas and AME for Standard Chartered Bank. And we'll be speaking today with Nicola about the work that Standard Chartered have been doing in this field both before and after the pandemic. So welcome and hi Nicola.
2: Hi, thank you.
1: Nicola first, we'd love to know more about what Standard Chartered has been doing in your Future of Work project, which we understand was something that was already very much underway before the pandemic and of of course has now taken on an even greater significance.
2: Yeah, thanks Phil. So I guess helpful to start by saying, to some extent flexible working has always been part of our DNA at SCB. You know, we're in 72 countries and um, it's fairly common for teams to be cross-border. So we've been used to working across different locations with managers elsewhere. Uh, and it was pretty normal for us to have meetings where uh, some people were on the phone, some people were on video and often you just didn't know where people were. Um, and, and we were used to ensuring those meetings were inclusive and, and working in that way. But remote working is not the same as working from home. And you know, in, in the space of a few short weeks in 2020, much like many of you, we went from normal levels of home working to 85% home working. So an enormous change. And we listened to our colleagues during that period. You know, we we were aware that everybody's experiences were different and that the challenges faced during lockdown didn't reflect ideal home working. But the surveys we did told us that people found that flexibility really empowering. Um, and that people appreciated the ability to manage home and work demands. And we knew that we had to do something to take that forward. So the actual Future of Workplace Now programme kicked off in June 2020. Um, It was an enormous project, really, involving eight work streams, uh, a steering committee, a full governance structure, and operational support across our um, service hubs in India, etc., and I sat on the HR design work stream, which was responsible for coming up with the concept and the product design. And that was populated by me and then heads of HR governance, benefits, tax reward, um, compliance, etc. cetera. Um, the project ran in phases. So um, we ran phase one earlier this year, covering our nine main markets, um, we're now in the throes of phase two, where we will cover another 20 and we will cover the rest of the markets through phase three towards the end of this year and in 2022, which means that by the end of next year, we will have all 72 countries flexibly or having the opportunity to do so.
0: It sounds like a huge undertaking, Nicola. What was the role of the legal team in, in the project?
2: So uh, as the sort of resident employment lawyer, and in fact, one of the only members of the legal team on the programme, my my main role was to draft a new global employment flexi-contract template. And we decided we would use that for new hires um, and that we would draft a simpler contract amendment letter for existing staff. So we didn't propose to repaper 82,000 people over the course of the next couple of years. Effectively, the the flexi-contract was also an opportunity to look at our contract and just bringing a bit more up to date. We didn't want that 28 page dense banking contract anymore. So we made it much more user friendly. And um, we put a, a sort of summary page up front that both parties could refer to. We made it an offer letter style where we refer to you. So it was much more sort of personable, but it also contained all of the new clauses on working location, working time, trial periods, um, health and safety assessments, and sort of amped up provisions on, on confidentiality and privacy. Um, given that we would be remote working.
0: And is it the same contract across all of your jurisdictions? Because you've got a real challenge with such a global business. So I'm really interested to know sort of your role in in managing that.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. So we do, we have always had, or for the last six to seven years, we've had what we call our, our 1C template. So we, meaning one contract. So we do try to have a global master Um, which we tailor with essential legal changes in each market. And that means wherever you pick up that contract globally, you've got that familiarity and it's quite quick to work through it. There are, of course, exceptions. You know, we have markets where the contract looks completely different. Um, But on the whole, we try to be fairly uniform. And that was the idea with the Flexi contract too. Let's come up with a base template. Um, We drafted it on the basis of a sort of relatively neutral, low protection jurisdiction. Uh, I think we, we did either Hong Kong or Singapore. And then we... Through the phases, we tailored for each of the countries. So in earlier this year, we we looked at that contract uh, for nine markets and and added in essential legal clauses or specific benefits clauses for those markets. And we'll phase that through phase two and phase three.
1: Did you come across any markets where the legal landscape was so different that you had to take a different substantive approach? Or have you been able to standardise the approach across all of your markets so far?
2: Yeah, we, we did. I mean, there, there were, you know, really flexible working um, in some of our markets is barely a concept. You know, we're very lucky in the UK that we have a statutory right to request and it's well baked into our sort of legal landscape. But that really isn't the case in other jurisdictions. Um some jurisdictions don't even really have a concept of part time working. Uh, So there were jurisdictions where we had to remove some of the options because the, um, for for example, from lots perspective, you know, there's no ability to part to prorate part time leave holiday was actually one of the most complex um, discussions that we had in each of our jurisdictions. How did we make that work? So, yeah, in some jurisdictions, we um, we lifted out some of the options, but we we could manage hybrid almost everywhere. Homeworking working was possible in most locations.
1: And building on that, how did you marry up the thinking of the business about hybrid working on the one hand, which you know, may have been more consistent internationally, um, that's on the one hand, and then on the other hand, the expectations of employees and the workforce, which based on different cultures, and as you've just been describing, different working, working practices historically, may well have come from a very different starting point.
2: Yeah, yeah, that 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 was probably one of the most interesting pieces. I mean, um, in terms of the sort of cultural piece, I, you know, I mentioned in in some ways we were part of the way there. People were used to this to some extent, but there were still specific cultural challenges in some jurisdictions. I mean, uh, we had, for example, um, some management teams saying that they they were just kind of okay for time flexibility thanks very much um and we had to explain that it wasn't really optional it was part of the program um and that non-standard office hours would become a thing um in our organization um and we had people asking if we if they could exclude mondays and fridays because they felt from home working because they felt people would um you know use that to their advantage or that they wouldn't work properly on those days and so there was a lot there was a lot of cultural and um, there was a, a lot to bring people along on that journey. But we we had this dedicated cultural work stream as part of Future of Work um, who were looking at that constantly. Um, and we just issued some very strong comms around the fact that flexible working was the norm. Um, and that was the sort of de facto position. And you had to have a good reason to deviate from that as a business. And that we expected people to lead from the top right down from the management team through to team management. We expected people leaders um, to work in this way too and to demonstrate to their teams that it was, um, that it was acceptable and the norm. So that, that was kind of the cultural piece. And, it, and in terms of the business requirements and matching, uh, th- this is probably something we get asked the most. Um, how did we determine proportions of hybrid, et cetera? And, and the answer is that we asked. We asked our staff base. Um, we, we ran a survey at the end of the year called the Expression of Interest. Um, and set out a number of options and ask people what they would like to see in their teams which of those options um, they would like to apply for um, and we then so we run that as a sort of bottom-up process and then we asked uh, business coos and business heads to consider which options fit their business needs and we ran a matching process between employee interest and business needs and we called those our sort of win-win options um, and then with those win and win options in each team, in each team, those were communicated to the teams and people could apply based on those options. And did that throw up any surprises or
1: were the employee uh, preferences that came out of those surveys broadly what you expected
2: to find? I think they were. I mean, we what probably wasn't surprising is that most people um, wanted some office contact. Uh, most people wanted to do two or three days, which I think has become fairly standard. What we were surprised about was the level of interest Uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't have been surprised. We'd all been doing this for a year and people had got used to it. But we opened these applications on the 1st of February earlier this year um, for our first nine markets. And within two weeks, we had over 34,000 approved applications out of uh, approximately 42,000 staff. So uh, there was about 80% take up. And that's what really amazed us we did encourage people to have for a long time before the application window we were encouraging people to talk about this in their teams and reach agreements with their people leaders so when the applications went in the approvals were happened incredibly quickly but even still we were sort of amazed by by the numbers immensely proud but but amazed
0: i think it's a really good point nicola that you that you talk about having strong comms from the top because i think one of the challenges as everybody tries to adapt to this new world is making sure that everybody is behind it in order for it to work and one of the concerns i guess that a lot of our clients have and other people is is getting it to work when we're in this hybrid environment so we've been in an environment for the past year where it's sort of been forced upon everyone so it's almost the opposite of flexibility but it has worked because everybody's in the same situation and i think as we move into a new world where people have more hopeful hopefully choices and and, and, and more freedom in terms of determining um their flexibility making sure business resistance is eroded shall I say and supportive is really important so it's really good to hear about your sort of comms piece do you have any sort of ongoing plans to deal with that that business resistance
2: yeah we do I mean what I think one of the things we have puzzled over the most and I, I'm sure everybody has is is maintaining that strong culture and social capital when you've got people at home or a lot of people at home and, and that engagement um, and we it, it in that work stream that was dedicated to this, but also just generally in our HR function and through people capability and learning, we've been looking at um, how to maintain our culture. And one of the things we ran last year was called uh, the water cooler challenge. So we asked all of our colleagues globally to participate in a challenge to come up with ideas on how to recreate those moments of incidental contact in the office. And we, we we whittled that down to 76 ideas and then distilled those into six final ideas. Um, and it's been fascinating to sort of watch that process happen. So we've uh, suggested things like um, doorstops with senior leaders, so where senior leaders carve out time um, to uh, be available virtually to people to just ask questions. So just like passing by the partner's door in the office, virtual co-working spaces where you can all work together fairly quietly and you can go for breakout coffees. Apps to connect colleagues who live locally to each other. So it's about maintaining that contact even when we are hybrid. We've also undertaken a lot of work to remodel our offices. So less dedicated desk space, more collaboration space. And I do think it is generally about creating that space in our diaries, in our workplaces to continue to work together and learn together. And that's what we're really focused on. I guess the other thing I would mention is that everybody, even 100% home workers have a designated office baked into their contract. We want everybody to feel they have got that real connection to a physical place that belongs to SCB. And um, so they can always come into the office. Nobody is mandated to stay at home 100% of the time. And Nicola, your organisation
1: is clearly right at the forefront of thinking about hybrid working and you know, you you beat the market to it because you were thinking about this before the pandemic began. Looking ahead though, what do you expect are going to be the main challenges that come up for this hybrid working model, whether they're challenges that you had always planned for or whether they might be new challenges that have emerged given what's been happening in the world since you designed the programme?
2: Yeah, thanks. I mean, one, I think one of the things which concerns all of us and, and also just me personally for my own team is um, what do we, you know, how do we maintain the learning and the contact that juniors need to continue to develop? Um, and uh, one of the things we've done there is to strongly suggest, um, and, and, and it's not a blanket rule, but to strongly suggest that for early careers, people do spend three days per week in the office. Um, you know, we've, we're also encouraging people leaders to set up regular time in their diaries, to speak to their juniors, which is a really simple thing, but it's incredibly important. And, you know, we all know that juniors uh, feel less able to pick up the phone to ask those questions. So it's about allotting time to them
0: um, to do that. It's really interesting that you touch upon that, because actually that's probably one of my biggest concerns, because if I think about my career trajectory, I don't think I can underestimate the benefit of what I learned through osmosis just by being around more senior people, observing them and seeing how, how they, how they did things. And so as we move to a more hybrid model, I agree spending time in the office for the juniors will be important, but also for more senior people, I think thinking about how we can recreate that or remembering to loop people into calls or having dedicated sessions with them, I think will become more and more important just to ensure that they get the same calibre of training and experience that they had sort of in the old world, replicated in the new world with the benefits of flexibility. So I think that's something that we are very focused on as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, coming from a private practice background, Caroline, I totally agree with you. You know, I, I think we all learn so much by being placed next to partners in the office and just listening to calls and how you conduct yourself, how you engage with clients. So I, I totally share that. And I, I do think that's, cert, you know, we certainly don't have all the answers, but I think that's sort of some of the solutions. The other thing which I really don't have the answers to, but which is something that's absolutely on my mind is is the sort of diversity and inclusion piece, because On the one hand, I think flexible working absolutely fosters and furthers diversity and inclusion, and I hope it continues to do so. I hope far more people feel that they can walk through the standard charter door because of how we're allowing them to work. Um, But at the same time, I see more and more articles focused on, you know, will this have also a detrimental diversity impact whereby, for example, more women elect to work flexibly and become less visible in the workplace? Um, and that is something which I think we need to continue to be focused on staying engaged with our team members making sure everybody's getting the same level of exposure and the same opportunities that's going to be one of the greatest challenges I think and
1: I suppose Nicola that raises the question of people who actually don't want to work in a hybrid way people who want to stick to working in the office every day on a fixed pattern I suppose two questions firstly does does the standard chartered hybrid working model accommodate people who actually want to work in a uh, what might be described as more traditional way? And secondly, if people do want to work in that way, do you do anything to then educate them or train them about how to work with people who are working in a hybrid way to make sure that the cohesion remains?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, in answer to the first question, um, it, yes, we do make space for that. And, and nothing about future of workplace now was ever mandatory. And so we did. We started out by doing a job family analysis where we looked across all of our roles in the bank and determined whether we thought it was a hybrid role, an office based role, or could be a 100% home based role on a non mandatory basis. So, we do have traders and sales staff for whom the technology means that they are still predominantly required to be in the office, and our branch staff, for example, in our retail locations. Um, But we knew from the outset and we said from the outset, everybody's needs are different. This isn't one size fits all. Any changes or choices are a two way discussion. So if somebody wants to be in the office nine to five, five days a week, that's absolutely fine with us. You know, they can they can do that. And um, in terms of how we train people and engage people, I mean, one of the things we've noticed on that, I don't know if this is the same for you guys, is that now, actually, when I come into the office, it almost feels like my work set up in the office. Is less suitable um, than my home setup is because my home setup is tailored completely to video calls. And so, one of the things we are really focused on is continuing to evolve that office space, making sure that every desk has the video facility, making sure the collaboration space is right so that when people want to come in, there is that opportunity to all sit together. So, far more sort of collaborative working than just all sitting in isolated desks. But that is, you know, that is absolutely sort of continuing improvements and um, we've also had discussions around whether all meetings even when some of us are in the office should just continue to be virtual so that everybody maintains an equal seat at the table but i think these are things which continue to evolve over time it's something we continue to look at
0: yeah i think you raise a few few points that we're also pondering ourselves so hybrid working when there are people in the office and out of the, the office i I completely get your concern about sort of diversity and inclusion and making sure that everybody has an equal seat at the table. And I think whether yeah. that means that we have more virtual meetings going forward, even when some are physically present, I can I can really see that. And we're also looking at our workspace um and our office space to see how we can make it more appropriate for, for the sort of the new hybrid hybrid way of working. And I'm sure we'll we'll find that there are things that work and we'll find that there are things that don't work and we'll all have to evolve as we go. Yeah, absolutely. One of one of the biggest benefits, I think, from my perspective of moving towards this more flexible uh, working pattern is hopefully actually retaining people um, in the type of professions that we're in um, for longer and giving them the chance to have a successful career uh, where they might otherwise have decided that they couldn't. What do you think the biggest benefits of a hybrid working setup will be?
2: Yeah, I I mean, I I certainly agree with what you've just said, Caroline. And you know, one of the things that springs to mind is you know, people returning after periods of leave and feeling that it's much more possible for them to come back in the way that they need and want to, which fits with their home life as well as their work life. But really, I think this goes to what our aim was from the outset with this programme. You know, this was never this was never a cost-save exercise for us. We didn't start this because we wanted to get rid of floors of property in London or in other high-cost locations. And um, the driver was... And still is employee experience. Um, so it was furthering a diverse and inclusive environment, but but it was also future-proofing. You know, we we were already talking as an organization about the next generation that's going to flow through to us, and that their norm is not nine-to-five office working. They expect to be much more dynamic, they expect to be and be able to work in different ways and in different locations. And so it was an opportunity to redesign the way we work for us, but also for our future workforce, you know, remaining really competitive in, in attracting that diverse and really high caliber talent. And um, so it was very forward looking. And I think that that's the greatest benefit in some ways that's come out of it for me is is feeling that we're ready um, and that we're looking forward as we as we sort of progress with this program.
1: Thanks, Nicola. I think that's a very fitting way, actually, to bring the podcast to a close. I think thank you from Caroline and from me for joining us today. We found it extremely interesting and I hope that the listeners do as well. For our listeners, thank you for listening. If you have any questions about anything that we've talked about today, please do feel free to contact Caroline or me or your usual Slaughter and May contact. Thank you.
0: For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.